Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Behind the Timeline. It is the Dark Friends Social today on Behind the Timeline. I am your host, Lindsay, and it's just me tonight. We're going to be talking all of those evil book spoilers from episode six of The Wheel of Time, The Flame of Tarvalin. This is going to be spoilers for all of the Wheel of Time books, all the way through Memory of Light, including all six episodes of the show. And uh, as always, I'm excited to talk about the Wheel of Time tonight. This episode had a lot in it in terms of setup, which is good. I enjoyed it very much. There's a lot to dig into here. And similar to last week, basically everything is a change from the books. We're in just a totally different sort of turning of the wheel right now. And I think it's awesome. But there was a lot of really cool setup for what's to come that I want to talk about. There were like a million Easter eggs that I want to talk about in this episode. So we will pretty much dig right into it, but do make sure that you subscribe to Behind the Timeline wherever you're getting podcasts and check us out on Instagram at Go Behind the Timeline and on Twitter at Behind Timeline. You guys can email us and check out the website and the Reddit and all the links will be in the episode description. So let's jump into it, The Flame of Tarvalin. I want to start by talking about the dragon's fang at Swan's house, because we've now seen this a bunch of times, right? I'm confused about this. Like Scott in the main episode said that he thought that Trollocs did that to Swan, right? And I'm like, obviously not. It was the villagers from Tyr, but they're not really explaining this. And I think the thing that's making it confusing is that it seems like it came up like magically from the Trolloc blood. And obviously, it's not inherently evil the way that a Trolloc is, right? Why would a Trolloc naturally make that when it dies? I just, I don't, I don't understand why Trolloc's blood would do that because Sidene isn't inherently bad. So that has me a little bit confused and I'm expecting to see it at the eye of the world because I'm like, what's going on? I don't, I don't really get what's happening here. And then just hitting on some of the Easter eggs before we dive into kind of the main plot, some of the general stuff. Ships disappearing from the West. We said in the main episode, arriving. And that was a whoopsie. And I just sort of went with it. And we didn't, like, Scott doesn't know that. He doesn't know anything about the Shan Chan. He knows some spoilers, but he doesn't know that. And I'm like, all right. Whoops, I guess it's the same difference, but disappearing from the West. Um, and Megan is going to check it out. And a hundred percent, I think that we're gonna see her as a Damani in season two, for sure. I everyone's kind of saying that they think that she will be um Pura, I think is her Damani name. And yeah, I totally buy that. I think that makes sense. Give us like we'll all recognize her. She did enough this episode to show up next. Next season is a Demone, and that's really too bad for Megan. Um, I'm wondering, as a lot of people are, about whether the Shanshan might arrive in Tyr instead of Falma. I think that that is feasible. I mean, I know that it's it's certainly not their uh, their most approachable port. Like, I don't know why they wouldn't just land in the West, but they're really setting up Tyr, right? They've been talking about Tyr this whole episode and really like hammering in that as a, as a big location. 
And I could totally see them doing it because it might be that Matt could end up meeting everybody there and just sort of put the end of book two into the end of book three, which I'll talk about towards the end of the episode. But I feel like that works. So I could see Sean Shen in tear. Although I guess she is saying disappearing from the West. Maybe it is Falma. I don't know. Maybe they hit multiple places at once and be like way more menacing right away like the White Cloaks have been. I'm excited to see what they do. The other big drop there uh, in this episode was the Aiel scene west of the Dragon Wall. Um, that's super exciting. I can't wait to get to the blood snow next week, though, please, God. Like, I thought that was going to be in this episode, and I was really disappointed when that wasn't the cold open, even though I really liked the cold open. But I I really want to see the blood snow stuff, and I'll talk about that more in a bit, too. And then I, I also like the drop of, like, how did the Trollocs get to the two rivers undetected? And I'm like, absolutely. I can't wait to find them in the ways next week. And hopefully they put all of that together real quick. And maybe even start getting hints of like a plan to shut that shit down and have the mission to close the ways. And because everything's going to be expedited here, right? Like we could see Perrin back in the two rivers very soon. So, okay. And then we get the introduction of Tirangriel with these like portal things that Moraine and Swan have. And they both have the same thing, right? The same picture in Swan's chambers and in Moraine's. And not in the hut where they meet is what I noticed. And so I could see these being Tirangriel that allow you to travel. I don't see any reason why that couldn't exist. It's sure, fine, right? There's lots of Tirangriel that do that, um, right? That like make it easier than using a complicated weave, like the ones that let you get into Teleranriad. And I could see this being Teleranriad for sure, because I feel like if you're traveling there and obviously no one's using a weave to travel and you need to use this Terangriel to travel, then there has to be one in the hut. You can't just like, then they're stuck in tier. So I could see it being in Teleranriad somehow. And in that way, you could definitely get out without having to travel through another Terangriel. You could wake up. Right. And that would make sense with Lan standing guard if she was really leaving. I mean, I could see him standing guard anyway, but it makes more sense if she's in there asleep or do they enter in the flesh? I don't know, but I feel like that's what that might have been. I want them to talk more about the world of dreams or like at all about the world of dreams. Right. It's been, but that's how the eye of the world is. And it's good that they're maintaining that so that we have all the mystery around Ashamael right now. So speaking of Swan and Moraine. Um, this is absolutely book canon. I'm really not entertaining any of the, like, the jabber that's going on in Twitter of time about this. Like, people have a problem with their relationship or saying that it's not book canon. I'm like, it absolutely is. It's just like, it's just like done better than the book. <laughs> it's because the thing is like, the thing that's problematic about Pillow Friends is the implication that it's like until graduation, right? Like, while we're novices or while we're accepted, but then later that won't be the case. And I'm like, mm, that seems unrealistic to me. So I really love that, that they really are explicitly together and in love. And I just, they're, they're like everything. I love this, this version of them, like this turning a wheel. I love the show. And I love that their romance is not the big secret. 
right? Like it is like totally Swan's probably not supposed to be hooking up with Moraine, like from a like duty Amerlin rules standpoint. But also that really the big secret is the prophecy and their quest for the dragon and all of the things. And I think that that is so awesome that there's this whole deeper thing going on between them, that it's not just a relationship that's revealed. It's like all of Moraine's motivations because we haven't had those yet. And um, well, at least most of Moraine's motivations, some of them, but it was great to get this. It, it reminds me a lot of Moraine's first POV chapter in the great hunt. That was always like a watershed moment for me of like, oh my God, this is about to get so awesome. And I feel like this was kind of the same, like getting to get inside her head is, is so great. So I really enjoyed everything about that. And yeah, I really hope that we get some prophecy next week. I think we need to hear more prophecy in order to have a good guess at who the dragon is, right? I think for the next clues, because that question has been kind of quiet for an episode, right? So they need to heat that back up. And I think that giving us some prophecy is a good way to do it, maybe with the blood snow. And I think it'll like, it could pretty fully reveal the dragon. But I do hope that we get some of it. And I think that we will when we get the blood snow flashback. Um, we also have Ishamael and Swan's dreams, which is really interesting. It definitely feels like the trip to the eye is a total setup to get the kids after losing them, like after Shatterlow got them, then they get into Tarvalin and like, this seems like just totally a setup by Ishamael. And I think that, I don't know, we're going to see, but I'm like, damn it, Swan, you have no idea what you're doing. I like seeing how little all of them know what they're doing. And speaking of, I mean, I guess she seems like she kind of does know what she's doing. Uh, Leandrin, God fucking damn it. I, I think at this point, Leandrin probably is black Aja. I feel like her friend in North Harbor, ha, huh, is totally a dark friend, right? Like that's got to be her dark friend contact. I feel like that I don't know, maybe not. Maybe it's just reading too much into it and they're still going to do like an Elida, but fuck it. I, I'm i like, she should be Black Aja. I think that she must be. Because why does she care so much about the boys, right? Like she knows about them. I can understand that. Like they all have eyes and ears. Like I'm not surprised that she's keeping in tabs on like where Moraine went on her very busy day. But I just... I don't know why she gives a fuck unless she thinks that they can channel, unless she's just goading Moraine. I just, she feels so fucking evil to me right now. So I feel like that's her dark friend contact in North Harbor. And I feel like she's totally a black Aja, but I want to know more about her and Moraine's relationship. Cause there's definitely more going on there and Oh, there's so much to find out. Um, Swan, Pulling out the oath rod, that was pretty crazy. More Aes Sedai stuff for the fourth oath. I mean, because that's a whole situation, right? Taking a fourth oath. And they just throw it in there so casually. And, like, maybe it makes it easier to swallow later. But maybe the idea is that it really is shocking now. Like, you do see everyone be kind of like, holy shit, right? I mean, not like it's the end of the world. Not like you'd expect from the books to pull out a fourth oath. But, like... 
they definitely recognize that that's like a pretty serious punishment, right? And maybe the idea is that it's pretty shocking now, but later like Leandrin slash Elida can say, oh, fuck you, Swan did it too. So now you guys have to swear fealty to me. And it actually kind of helps set up like a much longer or larger conversation about fealty. Very Daenerys. Like we're going to see a lot of that conversation with like the Shan Shen and just telling everyone to swear fealty and it's fine. You can go back to ruling yourselves, right? Um, and also like at Dumai's Wells. Like, this is a, a running theme. So maybe just getting an oath of fealty out of the way and just kind of nixing whether or not the Aes Sedai can pull out the oath rod for like any old thing. I mean, if we're really thinking about it, the Aes Sedai in the Age of Legends used it to enforce punishment, right? For anything. It wasn't like you only swear so many and you always swear these. And I don't know, maybe we can be flexible with that. But I liked the setup that Swan had with the girls when they met later, though. The conversation that she had with Maureen and Nynaeve and Egwene and kind of the setup for Taviran is so real. Like, I couldn't believe she didn't explain it right then and there. And she's talking about how, like, they're important threads and you couldn't walk away if you wanted to, which I'm like, Matt, what the fuck? I hope he learns that lesson real quick. And that would have helped us. Like, we have to learn what this means soon. The way she was talking about it would have been the perfect time to bring it up. But I do think it might help set like the groundwork for new viewers, like just lay this out here and sort of feed it to us slowly rather than do a big exposition dump on Taviran, like set up the concept a little bit in this conversation with before naming it. I don't know, but I would really like for them to explain that now um, because it's my answer to everything. Every question that non-readers are asking me, I'm like, Taviran, I, you'll have to wait and see what that means, you know? <laughs> So I really hope that they explain that soon, but I really liked the setup for it by Swan. And um, and then later Moraine's description of what happens if the Dark One wins. I said this in the main episode a bit, but that is for sure the description of what happens if we actually have to fight the last battle. Um, absolutely him winning is like the end of time, right? So I don't know how Maureen seriously doesn't get this. Like why they think they can win right now is beyond me and totally insane. But it's kind of cool to see how little this Gandalf figure knows about what the hell is going on. Like Maureen knows very little. Like we should just start calling her Jon Snow. She knows nothing. And it's so it's awesome watching it. I and and like the show is contradicting it. It's being written so well. I love it because Dana tells us, right? This is, it's, it's, we're going to stop time. It's ending a wheel, all the things. And Maureen's like, we can go kill the dark one at the eye of the world. Like what? And that's just, it's such a setup, right? Like I said about Swan, like this whole thing is such a setup by a Shamael. And I love that nobody gets that even Maureen. Like there are no totally omniscient characters here. Even the dark one, well, dark one right I mean him but also mostly Ishamiel like doesn't actually know who he's like going after they just know it's one of the five right which I guess narrow that down because Matt's not there anymore and what the actual fuck right like I I don't know what to think about Matt do we think Matt is 100% better Maureen said don't touch the dagger again right so like why would anyone and does Lan have it is it I'm, it's really unclear to me where the dagger is because obviously 
if Lan has the dagger, then I have to think that Pat and Fane is coming after them in the ways, right? If Lan doesn't have the dagger, then I think Matt and Fane are going to have some kind of altercation over it or something. I'm really confused about how they're even going to have Fane like care about the dagger or if that's where we're going or if it matters, if that's where we go. Like maybe that doesn't have to be it. I, I honestly don't know because he was in Shatter Logoth for sure. But like, has he touched the dagger? Does he care about the dagger? What's his connection at this point to Shatter Logoth? Like right now he's just like the whistling backward, like background um, ominous character. Right. And I think that a lot of us would agree that Fane's ending isn't perfect in the books. I think that character has a lot more potential that could be it could be done better differently. So I'm not sure where I think he's at or whether he's following the dagger, but I could totally see like I want Matt to be totally healed. And I know that Maureen's comment, like, don't touch the dagger again, makes it seem like maybe he's not. Like, he's just separated it, separated from it, like, in the books. And will need to be fully healed of it soon. And he'll still be... But in that case, you'd think he would still be chasing it. Like, it feels weird to me. Like, he wanted it with him all the time. You would think that he wouldn't leave. If anything, I would think the dagger would be pulling him to stay. And I recognize all of the meta stuff around the casting for Barney Harris. I just kind of want to play in Rafe's head of like, because I want to believe that I do believe that Rafe and the other people behind the show would not just like pick a lazy figure it out option right after Barney Harris left. I feel like Rafe would find a way to make this work with the story, which is why I think that that's where we're going to pick up with Matt in season two. And it's too bad that we can't have that the next two episodes, at least I assume. I assume that since that's when Barney Harris left and that's when shooting stopped for the pandemic that we don't have Matt in episode seven and eight. But let's assume that Pat and Fane and the dagger are currently in the ways because I think that Fane following them in the ways is much cooler. And I think the likelihood that like he doesn't show up till next season because he's going to have something to do with Matt is basically zero. There's no way they have all of the whistling and everything else just to have him like not show up again in this season that's insane so i think we're gonna hear some whistling in the ways i think that land still has the dagger because trust no i said i don't leave that shit laying around like i'm sure they have some kind of plan or they think they have a plan right because maureen thinks she knows shit and she does not so let's assume that pat and fane and the dagger are currently in the ways my prediction for matt at the start of season two is that he will meet tom in in tarvalon Tom will have caught up with them as Scott predicted Tom's injured and fallen behind and he's slower, but he will catch up and get to Tarvalon because he knows that's where the boys were heading and he wants to protect them. So he'll meet Matt who is fully healed, trying to earn some gold and maybe see the world a bit before heading home. And then I would love to see him meet Elaine and hot take. They should be together. Not her and Rand. Sorry. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. I know that there's a whole conversation to be had about poly representation and not splitting up Min, Avienda, Elaine, and Rand. And I just think that Elaine always had better chemistry with Matt. I just did. I just really, 
They should be together. I don't know. But I predict that Matt will meet Elaine in Tarvalon. That, that still is her path to end up there with the boys. I think that he'll have a quarterstaff fight. And then I think something, something, he gets put on a mission to tear. Or like Taviran puts him on a mission to tear. But one way or another, he basically just picks up with his book three storyline. And then if we do have Sean Chen and tear, then that makes even more sense, right? Like shenanigans go down. Everybody lands at tier for a big combo battle, like the Battle of Falma mixed with Reclamation of Kalimdor, right? And I'll give more thought to this in a season two prediction episode and kind of sit with it and after the finale and think about where I think it's going to go. But I don't see any reason that they shouldn't combine like the endings of books two and three and put those two books into one season and have Matt rescue the girls in tier, maybe from Black Asha, maybe from Shan Shen, maybe a combination of the two, right? Like, I don't, if it's Leandrin, I don't see why it can't be like Leandrin and the Shan Shen. And I think that that would make that whole interaction where he rescues them more meaningful. I, I like it in the books. Don't get me wrong. I really like the way that I think it's Birgitta in the end, right? Who is like, absolutely fuck that girls go apologize to Matt. He came and rescued you in tier and you were nasty to him. And like, you're, you need to get off all of your high horses. I really love that bit. And I love him just being like, fuck you, like so mad. And he's like totally rescuing them because he's mad and he's a great guy, but also totally pissed because they're so ungrateful. Like the girls are horrible in that interaction and for a while afterwards. So I feel like it would be, I don't know, maybe even more meaningful with him having been separated, like more of a redemption arc for Matt. Like, yeah, he disappeared before, but now he's here to help. And I think it would make it like more believable that they don't really want to give him credit or say thank you or any of the things because they're mad at him for ditching them in the ways. And I think that's much more compelling than just like they were being horrible because everyone's just horrible to Matt for no reason. And I, I hate it. This kind of honestly gives him a reason. And I know that's not intentional. I know this is like a casting thing, but it does give everyone more of a reason to be nasty to Matt. Because we don't see that with him, right? We don't see him being like the lovable scamp that's always getting into trouble. We see him like gambling and fucking up a little bit, but it's like for the girls. Like what we see is Matt like taking risks to like support his family, right? So I think that having him do something like this kind of gives more weight to a lot of the attitude around Matt going forward. And especially all the stuff that happens in book three in the stone, right? I I think that would totally work. He can show up there to save the day and have this great re redemption arc and help everybody. And somehow, you know, Elaine and Avienda will be there and everybody can hit up like a Terangriol inside the stone. Everybody gets a prophecy. The girls can go Black Aja hunting for season three. And like, like I say, somehow Elaine and Avienda will be here. Um, maybe Elaine will travel with Matt. Um, and then the boys and Egwene can go to the waste. Right. Then we can just pick up and, and hit book four and kind of nail out books four, five and six in season three. If we do end season three, I do my as well. I don't know. I'll have to give that more thought. But that's where I could see this going with Matt. And I would be not at all upset if that was the trajectory, except that we don't get it like this week. Right. Like, I'd really love to see just clips like between all the horror and the ways like Matt just like earning mad money and, you know, acquiring more silks I, I, and laces. <laughs> I would enjoy that as little cutaway scenes, but I know it's not going to happen. All right, so let's talk about some fast travel and the ways. Oh my God. Where the motherfuck is Bella, you guys? I'm upset about this. I'm really concerned. 
I'm worried that we don't know where Bella is. And I just don't know. I don't know, guys. I don't know if she's coming back. I'm really concerned that it might have just been like a name drop in the first episode. I guess I see why not bringing the horses in was cool, though. Like it was not that Bella's there with them, of course. But then they don't bring any of the horses into the ways, right? Which I said a little in the main episode. I'm like, hmm. I'm going to go ahead and need for that not to be the case. Like, are we really just about to lose Aldeep and Mandar? Because that's not cool. So we'll have to see what that situation looks like. But I guess it's interesting that they didn't want to bring the horses into the ways. Like, I guess that was actually pretty cool. Made it definitely seem more menacing. It was a good bit of telling, but also showing, right? Telling in a way that was... It was creepy and not just direct exposition. It was like, horses won't make it. I like that. So I don't know. I am nervous, though, about Bella. Um, I know that the mechanics of the Waygate have changed for sure. And yeah, it was cool that when Maureen did the channeling on it to open it, you could see like the Avendasora leaf. That was cool. I appreciated that. But it... It is a bummer that that's changed because it's, I mean, even if it wasn't the leaf, just it does kind of make sense to just be able to open the door. And what I'm trying to remember is that like, it makes sense for our turning of the wheel and our canon that we know from the books, but it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, obviously they were definitely something the Ogier used, right? And it is weird to change it to require channeling. Like I, I do think it's a strange choice. The, I mean... I like how the, it was like a gateway to nothing though. Like I like the design of the gateway, the giant gateway to nothing in the middle of nowhere looks really cool, much cooler than a basement or whatever in the book. But it would have been cool if it was like a leaf on the, the side pillar or something like that, that then turned it into a gateway rather than channeling. It was an odd choice to make given their backstory, but the backstory could change. One thing that I could see working that would be really different, but interesting as if this is kind of a Moria situation, the way that they're changing it so that maybe the gates were never really closed. Like maybe they would say that this is something that was made during the age of legends rather than after and during the breaking, right? That they were made by channelers for the Ogier, but it was at a time where there were always channelers around and like the gates would just be left open and there was no evil and they were just open all the time, like the gates of Moria. And then, if they were closed, again, like Moria, it should be really easy to open because there's lots of Aes Sedai and lots of channelers and it shouldn't be a big deal and anybody can help say friend and enter, right? But then surprise, the breaking happens and that doesn't work anymore. And then they end up tainted. Or maybe it was like made specifically by the male Aes Sedai, but during the Age of Legends and it was assumed that they would be around all the time to open them if, it, if you ever needed to. I don't know, but I could definitely see a like in better times when the doors were open always kind of homage to the Lord of the Rings, which wouldn't bother me one little bit. So that would be cool if they did that. But it does change their history. I suspect that Loyal will explain it to us promptly on Thursday evening. So we will have our answers soon. But as far as it affects the main story, I don't think that it does. I think it's only the history. I think in the main story, it's an aesthetic and bummer. And other than that, 
everybody can have an Aes Sedai with them. Like there's plenty of Aes Sedai to open the way gates, right? Whenever they're on a mission or whatever, like everyone always has an Aes Sedai in their party or an Ashaman. Like, I don't think it'll be a big deal that you need channeling to open the gates for the main story. It's just weird for the, the history. So we'll see how they change it. Um, overall, my life was not changed by this episode of television. I really liked it, but it was like, people were saying like, this is the best thing I've seen since Game of Thrones season six finale. And I'm like, all right, I, maybe not, maybe not that, but it was really good. But now I feel like, I mean, I thought that when people were saying that, that that meant that like, we were ready to have a little more action. Because the last few episodes have been a lot of quiet moments, a lot of putting the pieces on the table for for episodes five and six, which it's like it's only two episodes of of laying the pieces out. That's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. And before that was episode four with the crazy naive moment and like the battle. It's there's been plenty of action, but I'm ready for more. We've had enough laying the pieces out. I'm ready to go. Like, let's actually play now. So I feel like that's what's going to happen next week. And I'm very excited. Like, let's get some action. Because we have fucking Trollocs to fight. Trollocs that just disappeared. It's just not in our story anymore. We had these bad guys for like two episodes. And now it's... And they've just been gone. So I can't wait for everybody to come back, including Ishamael. I am predicting for episode seven, The Dark Within the Ways a blood snow cold open. I don't know that that's so much a prediction as it is like IMDb says, but I think they, I thought they said that for episode six, I, but it seems clear that it's obviously either this week or next. I think we're going to get blood snow cold open. And this, I think is going to be like a Westworld reveal. Like I think we're going to see like baby Rand and spoilers for Westworld. I do think that this is going to be like the reveal in season one where we saw Dolores as like an old school robot and you see her insides. And most of us who were really like super engaged with the show were like, okay, this, this storyline is taking place in the past. She doesn't look like this anymore. They told us that they told us she's upgraded, right? Like we're like putting it all together, but not everybody put that together. And then a couple episodes later, they spelled it out with absolutely no ambiguity, right? So I think that that might be what the blood snow is, that like it's going to spell it out pretty clearly for us who are book readers and for people who are paying super a lot of attention. And then for everybody else, they will spell it right out in episode eight. So I'm all here for that. But I feel like those of us who are paying attention to like the dragon mount hints and, and the prophecy, if and when they drop some of that, which I think will be during the, the blood snow, and then it'll be spelt out in episode eight when he fucking eviscerates all those Trollocs, right? <laughs> I think it'd be cool to get also like young Moraine and Swan. That would be neat to see them seeing the prophecy. And maybe that's when we hear like, and he'll be born on the slopes of Dragon Mount and then like cut to the slopes of Dragon Mount and Tam finding a baby. I, I mean, that's spelling it out pretty fucking clearly. I can't imagine anyone not following that, but then he'll eviscerate all the Trollocs and anyone who didn't quite catch it will, will catch on. But I think next week we get like 20 minutes in the ways tops, honestly, because we've had like six, seven minutes between the cold open and the the intro music the last week, sometimes even 10. So I feel like 20 minutes in the ways tops, but maybe longer with a massive trollic attack or like 
maybe there's a montage to show travel time, but like they need to explain some shit to us as well. Like I really need Loyal to explain to Viren. They obviously have to explain the ways more. Uh, there's a lot to get done in the ways. I mean, we, we should hopefully see Pat and Fane in there. So maybe it's, maybe it's longer. I don't know, but I feel like we need time in Faldera to like get ready before going to the eye. And I think most of the time we get there will be before the eye. Like I think this episode is going to end with Rand, like standing over fucking Tarwin's gap, cackling and with like lightning crackling around him. I feel like is the end. Well, no, I know we're going to end with the Sean Chen likely arriving, right. With like little girl looking out West who's been cast or whatever. That's probably the last, the last moment. But I, I do think most of the Feldara stuff we're going to get before they go to the eye. So I don't know if like some of that's early episode eight, but like there's a lot to do. We have those those shots that we've seen, the behind the scenes shots of Rand practicing with the bow. We need some land and Nynaeve to have some alone time, please, God. Like I I would really like to see them um, decide that they want to be together, have a conversation about it because we've seen them together all through episode six and five, right? Like everywhere they go, they're kind of with each other. They're spending all this time together. I feel like we need to see them kind of explicitly talk about their relationship and Lan's hesitation. And then also like what the fuck the eye of the world is needs to be explained. They're going to need to do like better in this than the book did. Not of explaining the eye of the world itself specifically, but of just this whole sequence of the end of the first book is like, I keep saying it, you know, it's what, like 65% of readers like totally understood what went on here. <laughs> like, I I hope that they streamline it, make it, just make it more clear. And if that means fewer forsaken, I'm okay with that. Um, I talked in the episode five spoiler review about the forsaken. Um, so you can tune into that episode and see my thoughts on who they're keeping. But if they get rid of some of these guys, it won't bother me. I think we're going to get a bunch of Ishamael. And I think hopefully like maybe everyone's going to have an Ishamael trial or like challenge, right? There was a theory on the Dusty Wheel a few weeks ago that Layla Ibarra is going to be a stand-in for Carrie Thor. The way that she appears to Ran in the books in Teleron Riyadh when he's in there with the Shamael. And it's like he thinks she's been raised from the dead and all these things. But I, I doubt it. But again, so fucking complicated. But I think the way they've been showing the dreams, like I think that'll be something that a Shamael makes parents see. And that it's her instead of Carrie, Althor. And that everybody's going to have... And, and credit to whoever's idea that was on Dusty Wheel. That was not mine. And I don't remember who you were, but you were brilliant. Um, someone who called in. And I wouldn't be surprised if everybody has a different trial with the Shamael. And that, like, at the end, Rand will be the one who blows up with lightning and, like, does whatever it is that they're going to, you know, show happening at the end of this. So I think that that would be super, super cool. And also it would be a neat way of following through on this this line that Moraine has of like, if you all go to the eye, I don't know how many of you will leave. Like only the dragon maybe will survive. And I'm like, what? So I wonder if Taviran will help them get out of that. And like these trials are what ultimately would have resulted in everyone, but not the dragon dying, but they're all Taviran. So they get through it or something, something. I don't know. I definitely can't wait to find out. Um, but the writing's been really good. Like I bet they make all of this work, however they tie it up. I bet you that it is clean and, you know, potentially better than the book. Honestly, this is not my favorite part of the series 
by a long shot. The end of the eye of the world is maybe my, I don't know. Like there's parts of it that are cool. Like Tarwin's gap obviously is really cool. It's just, I don't know. It's just not, it, it's so confusing. I don't think I'm alone in this. So I really hope that they just like make it like really, really, really cool. I'm really clear what's going on. That's all I want is just for it to like make sense and look dope. I don't think that's too much to ask from the season finale. So let's hope the next two episodes are as sick as I think they're going to be. This was kind of a short episode. So, you know, thanks for hanging with me tonight. Um, we will be back next week. Well, I will be back next week for the dark friend social for episode seven, the dark within the ways. And I will be very excited, but, um, in the meantime, you guys can check out the Spider-Man primer that's out now with everything that you need to get ready for Spider-Man No Way Home, which is premiering like on Thursday this week, like so soon that movie's going to be out. So uh, Scott and I are seeing it on Saturday. We'll have our review out, I believe, early on Monday so that everyone has a chance to see it. Um We'll have the Wheel of Time episode six main review and discussion with no book spoilers. That'll be out on Friday. So we'll have that first. Then we'll have the Spider-Man review on Monday. We'll have a Christmas episode coming out where we're going to look at all the episodes at where we're going to look at a bunch of the adaptations of A Christmas Carol. So look out for that on the 23rd. And then we'll be back for the Wheel of Time finale. So stick with us. We have all kinds of cool stuff coming up. Subscribe to Behind the Timeline wherever you get podcasts. Hit us up on Instagram at go behind the timeline at Twitter at behind timeline at Gmail at go behind the timeline at gmail.com. And the Reddit and the website will be in the episode description, but thank you guys so much for all of your support. Make sure to subscribe, stay nerdy, and I will see you at the end of this week.